Chapter 6 of Romancing the Tomb A Good Omens Fan Fiction Written by Auntie Kate Read aloud by Sky Asimaru If you enjoy this podfic, you can check out the original story on Archive of Our Own. If you would like to hear more of my recordings or see some of my own work, you can find me through the pen and screen name of Sky Asimaru. Romancing the Tomb, Chapter 6 Sex, Lies, and Biscuits Warning! Parts of this chapter are not safe for work. It includes graphic descriptions of sexual activity. Please utilize headphones if you intend to listen. If Crowley had any plan at all, it was to wait until Aziraphale seemed thoroughly asleep to slide away and slip out of the bed. That's what he should have done. He found, though, as he lay there in the warmth and darkness, with Aziraphale's weight on his chest, that he couldn't move. He ran his fingers through the other man's hair, and his other hand down his back. Aziraphale shifted slightly in his sleep his breath warm against Crowley's chest. He should get up and get dressed by the hazy glow of a street light coming in through the window. This would be easier for both of them if he wasn't around for the rest of it. And Aziraphale would understand, one day. Or at least, Crowley could hope he might understand, eventually. He knew he was lying to himself. Aziraphale definitely wouldn't understand. Tonight had not been what Crowley had expected when he invited Aziraphale to dinner. But then, nothing had been what he'd expected since Aziraphale had crashed into his car. It had been one ridiculous or terrifying thing after another. Except being with Aziraphale, that had been something else entirely. Something Crowley didn't even really have a word for. It made him think of that cottage by the sea and his vision of it expanded beyond one room and the smell of turpentine. He could see a kitchen where someone else might cook. Wait, did Aziraphale even cook? He seemed like he might be the sort who did, might have a whole bloody bookcase of cookbooks. He didn't seem a person who lived on nothing but tinned beans and toast and whiskey. He absolutely had the body of someone who liked long, indulgent, multi-course meals at places with actual cloth serviettes and hundred-pound bottles of wine. Crowley wanted to take him to one of those restaurants so he could watch him eat his way through truffled foie gras foam or whatever fancy shit he wanted. The cottage in his mind was now big enough for two people. Books stacked up on a bedside table a dresser with beige and tartan clothes on one side, black on the other. He was pathetic, completely and utterly pathetic. One hand job and he was fantasizing about playing house with someone he barely knew. He should go. He shouldn't indulge in this any further. But he didn't move, just settled his hand over the softness above Aziraphale's hips and drifted into sleep. Out in the dark, early morning, 
an angry man in a grotty trench coat walked down a lane swearing and limping occasionally large shapes would move on the edges of his vision and hastur would startle before remembering that they were cows fucking cows he was going to eat steak every day for the rest of his life and think about how much he hated cows as he did he checked his phone again and again until he finally had one measly bar of service he pressed the call button with one cold hand uh, mum leaguer's voice came sleepily down the line what's going on i've been waiting for you all day don't even fucking start with that leaguer are you in cragmire yeah been here since lunchtime stuck in some shitty little pub watching telly so you got the book yet no i did not fucking have the book luke isn't going to like it hastur do you think i don't fucking know that what do we do what we do is that you come and get me and then we're going to get the fucking book and then we're going to break every bone in that red-headed prick's body whose body never mind just come and fucking get me lega fucking now He woke up to the feeling of someone very carefully trying not to jostle him, and he opened his eyes sleepily. Cool gray light filled the room, and Aziraphale's face was there on the other pillow. Oh, my dear, I'm sorry. I had to move you so I could use the loo, he said apologetically. I didn't mean to wake you. Was the time? Crowley mumbled not quite ready to relinquish the hazy heaviness of sleep for whatever bullshit his day was going to hold. Then he remembered that he'd planned to sneak out when Aziraphale was sleeping, and reality slapped him like a wet fish to the face. No chance of that now, obviously. It's six-thirty. I suppose I should get ready to get the bus, Aziraphale said, not moving, just looking at him. He'd looked at him like that last night, too, until it made Crowley want to crawl out of his skin. It had also made him unbearably turned on, and he was halfway there again. No, no, no bus, he said, remembering. Well, how else am I? I should have told you last night, but I got uh, distracted. I've got you a ride. Oh, Aziraphale said, and he smiled and Crowley really wanted to kiss him again. Steady on, he told himself. You can't uh, rescue your sister and then not be able to actually leave, and that defeats the whole point of the rescuing. This young guy I know, Adam, he'll drop the car off for you at 9am. You've just got to promise not to go crashing it. I don't know if I should go making any hasty guarantees about that. You've witnessed my driving. I've been a victim of your driving. So we've got a few hours, Aziraphale said, and licked his lips, his eyes fixed on Crowley's mouth, and then drifted lower to where his body emerged from the tangle of sheets. Bloody hell. Uh, yeah, if you're hungry, there's a calf that might be open soon. I should have a shower then. He watched as Aziraphale sat up, 
the sheets falling away from him, revealing the curve of his belly and the silver-white hair across his forearms and chest, before he rather self-consciously walked to the bathroom. His arse was so nice and round and full, too, and Crowley pressed his eyes shut to stop himself from staring. He was going to need a shower himself, one roughly the temperature of the North Sea. I wouldn't be averse to company, Aziraphale said from inside the bathroom doorway. Crowley's eyes flew open. At breakfast? No, I, uh... Aziraphale's voice was low from the other room. I meant in the shower. Ah, Crowley thought, and went from half-aroused to completely, utterly, hopelessly turned on. Gotcha, he said into empty air. He shouldn't, absolutely should not. Here was his opening. All he needed to do was poke his head through the door and say, Hi, good offer, but I'll pass this time. And thanks for last night. It was great. Best time I've had in ages. Uh, we shouldn't do it again for reasons that you'll discover by lunchtime. Or maybe even by morning tea time. And then you'll be very, very unhappy about this. He heard the water start, and his mind helpfully supplied the image of runnels of water down Aziraphale's broad back, trickling between the slopes of his shoulder blades down to that perfect backside. He got up and went into the bathroom. Steam was already curling up into the air from the warm water. He carefully avoided his own reflection in the small mirror above the sink, and instead pushed back the shower curtain. It wasn't a very big shower, and it wasn't a very nice shower, one of those molded beige plastic ones above a small bath. But Aziraphale was there under the water, his hair wet, face pinking from the warmth. He turned as Crowley stepped in. They looked at each other. Aziraphale made the first move again, reaching for Crowley's shoulder and drawing him under the warmth of the water. Can I kiss you again? Uh, Crowley said, and Aziraphale must have correctly interpreted that as a yes, because he moved closer and kissed Crowley's mouth very softly. Jesus, I crossed on a cracker, Crowley thought, as Aziraphale's tongue parted his lips and swept into his mouth. This was definitely not what he should be doing. Last night had been forgivable, maybe, but to do it again this morning? He was a piece of shit, and... and... I'm sorry about the morning breath, Aziraphale said, pulling back fractionally. Water droplets clung to his lashes and ran down his nose, and he was lovely. He was lovely, and Crowley was damned. Not a problem, he said, and Aziraphale moved closer, touching him, putting one hand on each of Crowley's hips, angling them so the warm spray of the shower ran over them both, kissed him again, licked into his mouth, and nipped at his bottom lip, and, fuck's sake, Crowley needed to put a stop to this immediately. Instead, he slid his hand down Aziraphale's water-slicked back and groped at Aziraphale's lovely plush bum, which Aziraphale seemed to like, judging by the breathy little sounds he was making. 
Aziraphale began mouthing down his neck, and then bit softly on his collarbone. "'Would you object if I sucked your cock?' he said in that exquisitely well-enunciated way he had. "'Nope,' was all Crowley managed to get out in return. Aziraphale gave another of his sunshine and champagne bubble smiles and moved to kneel in the beige little bathtub, planting kisses along Crowley's chest and ribs and one hip bone, and then the other as he went. Crowley shut his eyes and held his breath until he felt the touch of Aziraphale's mouth on him, a kiss, a lick down his length, before he took him in his mouth. Crowley should really have expected it, after reading his book, as much as he'd been allowed, but it was still a surprise that Aziraphale's prim and proper mouth could be so exquisitely dirty. He reached out to steady himself against the slick wall of the shower cubicle. Fucking hell! Aziraphale made a low sound and moved his head as he sucked, one hand coming up to stroke along the inside of Crowley's thigh, then higher, up behind his balls, fingers tracing the delicate skin there. It felt so good, and Crowley hated himself, and then it felt better than good. Shit! Fuck! I'm sorry! I'm going to come now! You don't have to! But Aziraphale didn't pull away, and he shattered and came in his mouth. When he could breathe again, he forced his eyes open to watch Aziraphale stand up in the shower and wipe the water away from his face. His expression was somewhere between smug and embarrassed and ridiculously adorable. What can I do? Crowley said, weakly. You could touch me again, Aziraphale said. I'd like that. Crowley wrapped his hand around Aziraphale's cock and kissed him again. He moved his hand slowly at first, and then harder, twisting with each upstroke in a motion that had Aziraphale gasping and clutching at his shoulder, fingers digging into his bicep. Don't stop! That's marvelous! Don't stop! Wasn't going to, Crowley muttered, staring down between their bodies at the sight of his own hand, moving over Aziraphale's erection. It was pornographic. It shouldn't be allowed. He shouldn't be allowed to touch him like this. And yet somehow he was. After a few more firm pulls, Aziraphale's head fell forward onto Crowley's shoulder, and he pulsed into his hand. Crowley distantly registered that the water on his back was starting to cool, so he stepped back into it and pulled Aziraphale with him. The water sluiced down over them both, washing away the mess in his hand. That was lovely, Aziraphale finally said, into his neck. As good as in your books. Aziraphale gave a little laugh at that. You should read some more to find out. I thought you didn't want me to. I don't think I'd mind so much now. Maybe I will, one day not like a Seraphel would ever know, either way. Six cups of coffee and two and a half Danishes later, they waited outside the pub. The morning was brilliantly sunny, 
and the village looked ridiculously charming. Even Crowley could appreciate how nice it seemed, in the golden slanting light, with the fading hills in the distance. Aziraphale had buttoned himself back up, bow-tie and waistcoat reinstated, and they hadn't touched since they'd left the room. Crowley had thought about sitting right next to him at breakfast, draping himself over him like a cat, just to enjoy a few more moments of physical contact, but the guilt had come back on with a rush. That's that, then, Crowley thought, watching him fuss at his leather satchel as they waited for his ride. You really don't have to hang around, Aziraphale said finally. Ah, oh, no, Crowley replied, making a show of looking at his wristwatch so he didn't have to look the other man in the eye. And just want to see you on your way. Why are you doing all this? Doing what? Well, you know. Aziraphale's face went pink, which was oddly charming, considering how matter-of-fact he'd been earlier in the morning. Everything. Crowley sucked in breath through his teeth. I would have thought it was bloody obvious after last night, and this morning. You don't have to particularly like someone to have sex with them. Christ, that was like a slap in the face. But I do like you, and I think you like me too. Aziraphale hesitated, then ploughed on, as if he had no choice but to speak. It's just, he said, his face and neck going even more pink again, and now Crowley knew his chest would be too. I'm not your problem any more. You've never been a problem, and I meant what I said about texting me when you've got everything sorted, okay? I shall. He turned to Crowley and bit his lip, one hand whirring at his waistcoat. Crowley's stomach turned itself in unaccountable shapes, and he regretted having so much coffee. Crowley, I, I just want to say... I do like you very much, and these past few days I... Adam Young chose that exact moment to arrive in a black Bentley, which he parked in front of the pub with a showy squeal of tires. Adam was a handsome kid, somewhere in his early twenties, with curly hair and a face that made him popular with everyone, from the town's old ladies to their granddaughters, and a few of their grandsons as well. He had a thing for old cars, dog racing, and he was the town's resident small-time drug dealer. He dealt primarily in high-quality, hydroponically grown weed, and apart from a few uppers and downers, steered well clear of anything harder. Crowley had no idea what someone as young and charismatic as Adam was doing living out here, but here he was. Unfortunately, he seemed to regard Crowley as some sort of criminal godfather. It hadn't mattered how often Crowley had tried to explain that going to jail wasn't cool. Adam seemed to think it was, and he was, and regarded Crowley's drunken stories about his disastrous youth as the ultimate in entertainment. Good morning, you sly old devil, he called as he hopped out of the car. You didn't come back last night, and I waited up for you. I was worried sick. 
The way he said it made it very clear he had not been at all worried, and he smiled widely at Crowley, as if he knew exactly why he was wearing the same clothes he'd been in last night when he'd left Adam's house. The little shit. This is your idea of suitable transportation, Aziraphale said, archly, looking over the Bentley as if taking in the car's general patina of age and finding the whole thing distinctly lacking. Oh, I used to have a very sensible Land Rover, until someone drove it off a hill, Crowley muttered. Sorry, Adam said, winsomely. It's what I had handy. Aziraphale flashed the boy a smile. I'm sorry, I appreciate it, and thank you so much, Adam. Adam was still looking at Crowley knowingly. Any friend of Crowley's is a friend of mine, he said, and handed Aziraphale the keys. Now listen, I've done some work on her, but she's still a bit rough. The doors don't lock, and it's the original transmission, so don't ride the clutch. You can drive a manual, can't you? Okay, and it doesn't have any seat belts, so if you see any cops, try to drive slow. They probably won't pull you over. You look like a flat-cap sort. Another car pulled up behind them. A dark green Aston Martin Zagato from sometime in the 1960s. Pepper, one of Adam's henchpeople, leaned out the window. Hey, Crowley! We finished that book! she began. But Crowley gave her a tight, quick shake of his head, and she abandoned the sentence. Oh, yeah, that Dan Brown you lent me, Adam said, casually. It's a good read. Yeah? Crowley replied, also very casually. Good to know. Well, get her back to me, and then we'll talk about what you owe me. Adam slid into the Aston Martin's passenger seat, and it peeled off down the street in a cloud of exhaust. Do you know everyone in this town? Aziraphale said, still frowning at the Bentley. Unfortunately. Well, then, I just need my suitcase. Wouldn't do to forget it after I dragged it so far, would it? I'll be back in a jiffy. He disappeared back into the pub. Crowley shoved his hands as far into his pockets as they could go, and leaned against the Bentley to wait. As soon as Aziraphale drove off, he'd call the cops again, let them know it was all going down, and then by the time the whole thing was over, he'd be halfway to Aberdeen. He'd buy a crappy car there, and then head straight to the Channel Tunnel and go to France, mooch around in Provence or somewhere, and come back in a couple of months when everything had died down to pack up his house. It would all be fine. Aziraphale and his sister would be fine, too. The police would make sure of it. He had to tell himself that, anyway. It wouldn't do to give in to the guilt. He was just doing his best to survive, and he'd set it all up as best he could. Then he felt it. Something hard, jabbed against the small of his back, accompanied by the unpleasant sensation of someone looming behind him. Hello there, a rough voice said in his ear. He turned his head very slightly. It was the pale-haired man in the trench coat, the one with the gun, leaning in close. Crowley hadn't even heard him approach. He'd been too busy with his self-pitying nonsense. Behind him loomed another man, 
dark-haired and dark-eyed, but just as menacing as pale and grubby. I think, Trenchcoat Man said, we should all hop in the car and wait for your friend to come back. And then we are going to go for a little drive. Aziraphale took a moment to compose himself in the room. He looked briefly at the crumpled bedsheets and thought about Crowley, the lovely sounds he'd made, the way he'd tasted, the feel of his hands on Aziraphale's skin. Aziraphale had always been helpless in the face of his own desires. He'd never been able to keep an open packet of biscuits in his kitchen. He'd eat them all in one sitting, guiltily, without an ounce of control. Once he knew how much he liked something, he wanted it, again and again. And now Aziraphale wanted Crowley again, and he wanted all of him. He wanted to know what it would be like to make love to Crowley in every way he could think of, to run his fingers over every part of him, from his sharp ankles to the arch of his eyebrows, to wake up on a lazy morning and kiss him senseless, to take him to the theater, to go for a picnic, to hold hands walking in a park, to move inside him slowly and gently, or hard and fast and desperate. He'd had one, technically two, biscuits, and now he wanted the whole damn packet, and then he wanted to go to the shop and buy every single box. He took his suitcase back downstairs and walked out to the car. He saw Crowley was sitting in the front passenger seat. Perhaps he wanted a lift somewhere, and if a few more moments in his company was all Aziraphale would get, he'd take it. That's when he saw the pale-haired man in a trench coat sitting behind him, and another man beside him in the back seat. And then he saw the glint of sunlight off the object in Trenchcoat's hand, a gun pointed straight at Crowley's head. The rear window of the Bentley was rolled down, and the man leaned out slightly, lifting the gun as if making sure it was clearly visible from where Aziraphale stood on the pavement. "'In you get!' he called out the window. Crowley turned his head, jaw hard, and Aziraphale saw his throat work as if he was swallowing. Aziraphale hovered hopelessly, looking up and down the street. There were some people further down, coming out of what seemed to be an antique store, but he couldn't imagine any of them would help. He was on his own. I wouldn't think about it for too long, Mr. Wilder, Trenchcoat sneered. I'm not in a very good mood today, and my fingers get a bit twitchy when I'm grumpy. I just need to put my suitcase in the back. Aziraphale's voice came out much more smoothly than he expected. Perhaps he was finally becoming used to being imperiled. Why don't you get out and give him a hand, Liga? Make sure he doesn't get any silly ideas, Trenchcoat said to the man next to him. He climbed out and glowered at Aziraphale as he opened the Bentley's boot. He may well be growing used to being in danger, but this time he couldn't think of a single way to get out of this not without risking Crowley's life, and then they'd probably just shoot him as well. 
And then what would happen to Anathema? Trenchcoat's friend waved him to the front seat, and he sat down heavily against the aged leather. Crowley didn't look at him, just stared ahead, his eyes hidden behind those dark sunglasses, his hands balled into tight fists on his thighs. Now, mighties, Trenchcoat said with something like satisfaction. We're all just friends here, and we're going to have a little chat, lay down some ground rules before we go for a little drive. We need to make sure no one gets hurt. Crowley gave a bark of laughter at that, and Trenchcoat snarled. Is that funny to you? Not at all, Crowley said, cool again, his face returning to blank unreadability. Didn't think so. Well, listen up. Rule one is, if either of you try anything, I'll shoot you. Rule two is, the same as rule one. Got it? Please, I'll just give you the book, Aziraphale said and began to turn, but the gun flashed in his peripheral vision, and he fixed his eyes back ahead. That's what you're after, isn't it? You can have it. Just let Crowley go. He isn't any part of this. Sorry, Anathema, he thought. I'll figure something out, if I'm still alive. Crowley risked a glance at him now, and Aziraphale would have reached for his hand if there had been any chance it wouldn't have resulted in either of them being shot. Trenchcoat made a soft, tutting sound. Unfortunately, Mr. Crowley is indeed a part of this, and has been ever since he told me that little porky pie back at that hut. He leaned forward and pressed the muzzle of the gun against the back of Crowley's neck. And as for yesterday... Well, I wonder how good he'll be at driving without any hands. Please, Aziraphale said, panic tightening in his chest now. None of this is his fault at all. I'll give you the book, and everything else I can if you let him go. I have quite decent savings, and... Angel, shut up. It won't help, Crowley hissed. Trenchcoat gave a low, throaty and utterly humorless chuckle. <laughs> How sweet, but he's right. We're not open to counter-offers at this stage. Not even this one, a different voice said. Haster made a horrified, choking sound. Aziraphale couldn't help but look, and if it was possible for his heart to sink more, it would have. Another man was leaning in the window of the back seat of the car, a short black gun in his hand, pointing directly at Trenchcoat's head. The other back door opened, and a slim woman slid inside beside Trenchcoat and his friend. She, too, had a gun, which she held steadily in a way that suggested she knew how to use it. Hello, Crowley the man hanging in the window said calmly. He had a round face and a bald head, and looked more like a friendly butcher than someone who should be holding a gun. Except for his face. His face was blank and cold. Got yourself in a spot of bother, have you? 
"'Sandy,' Crowley replied, coolly. "'Looks like, doesn't it? "'Give the gun to Uriel, please,' the bald man said to Trenchcoat. The pale man passed over his gun, and the man in the window nodded before moving to open the passenger side door. "'Now, Crowley, do you want to explain what's happening here?' How did you come to be fraternizing with someone Gabriel is very keen to see? His eyes flicked towards Aziraphale. Gabriel, hadn't Crowley said that last night? Aziraphale shot a look at Crowley, who was steadfastly staring at the bald man and apparently ignoring Aziraphale entirely now. We had a run-in on the road to my house. Crowley spoke slowly almost reluctantly. He was talking about a book, said he had to deliver it somewhere, figured it was something to do with Gabriel. I was just about to send him your way. Aziraphale felt something cold and heavy grow in the pit of his stomach. Crowley still didn't look towards him. Ah, Sandy gave a nod. I'm sure he'll be suitably grateful. I think we've got a job for you coming up, actually. Shall I give you a call next week? Sure, Crowley agreed. Next week. And I suppose I can leave all this to you. This is Adam Young's car, though. He's expecting it back today. Certainly. We'll make sure it gets back to him. See you soon, Crowley. Aziraphale watched with horror as Crowley unfolded himself from the passenger seat and stepped out of the car. Some things fell into place then, in Aziraphale's mind. Crowley's driving, his reluctance to call the police, how calm he'd been at the sight of the pale man's gun, whatever the name Gabriel meant, why he might have stuck around, what last night might have actually been about. Good luck, Crowley said and Aziraphale wasn't sure if it was to him or to the bald man who took his place in the passenger seat. Without even a backwards glance, Crowley walked away. End of chapter 6 Thank you for reading. Please drop by the archive and let the author know what you thought of their work.